Welcome to the Morning Moxie Show. I am your host, Alicia Sharp, and today we have part two of Pastor Jim Baker's message about finances and being wealthy in the kingdom of God. Here's Pastor Jim. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Uh, the context of this is finances. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is two whole chapters talking about finances and giving. So you ready for this? And God is able to make all grace Scored out to you in small portions. No, no. And God is able to make all grace. What's this grace? Grace is um, God's empowering presence coming into your life to enable you to do what you can't do in your own strength. So what is this God's empowering presence coming into our life to do? To make you, to abound to you. So that having all sufficiency, this is talking about finances, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Gang, if this isn't true, John 3.16 isn't true. The whole Bible is true or the whole thing is a joke? True prosperity is having more than enough so that you can abound unto every good work. So here's what this means. It means God wants you to grow to the point where whatever need comes across your pathway, if your heart is moved by it, you've got a stream of income to meet it. Well, Jim, I don't see how that's going to happen. Well, thank you for admitting your unbelief. That's where we'll have to start. You're never going to walk in this thing if you don't even believe it's possible for you. Here's my definition of prosperity. You have no financial debt, thank you, Jesus, and you have more than enough money to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. It doesn't mean that every Christian is going to be a zillionaire. What it means is that your finances are going to be in proportion to your calling. And so the person who's a farmer in Uganda is going to look different than the person who's called to reach the Hollywood elite. Okay? You will never have influence in the business community if you are not prosperous. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes, it sounds mean, but it's true. It says, a poor man's wisdom is despised. Okay, you're never going to have the kind of influence that God wants you to have. Abundance, if you're Joseph in the prison, doesn't mean the finest chariot or a palace on the hill. It means that there's a wisdom and a strategy and a favor on his life that he was able to excel in whatever environment God put him in. Throughout the story of Joseph, and God caused him to prosper. So prosperity is not just uh, measured in dollars. Dollars are a byproduct of a person who's prosperous on the inside. The true prosperity is the wisdom, the favor, the strategies, the insights, the intimacy, the whispers of the Holy Spirit, the true riches. And when we tap into that realm, the outside will take care of itself. If God can get money through you, he will get money to you. And there will be plenty of money left over for you. I want you to think of yourself like a hose and uh, water is money. As money flows through you, the inside of a hose gets wet. And God will take better care of you on accident than you could ever take care of yourself on purpose. Remember, his name is El Shaddai, not El Chipo. Growing up, we had lots of missionaries come into our churches. Um, I was actually, Mary and I were actually part of uh, separate churches. Each church gave a million dollars a year to missions. So we had lots of missionaries come in, and we would often hear stories that went something like this. You know, we were sitting at the table uh, with the kids. We had no food in the house. We would set the table. We would hold hands. We would pray, and then there'd be a knock on the door. Someone would show up with the groceries. Man, I love those stories, and we need to be able to trust God at that radical level. We also need a church full of people who are the ones knocking at the door providing for the needs. One of the biggest problems people have with teaching on prosperity comes from the belief that it's selfish. Again, prosperity is not selfish because it's not all about you. Real prosperity is defined by how much we give away, not how much we keep for ourselves. Listen, you have to get this shift or it's not going to work for you. 
Prosperity is about blessing, not possessing. Let me just flip this around. It's actually selfish for you to not desire prosperity. Jim, I just want enough to meet my needs of my family. Yeah, let me just tell you what that is. That's the spirit of stupid (laughs) and the spirit of poverty, getting married and then having a child together. It it sounds so awesome, but here's basically what you're saying. My needs are met. Who cares about the rest of the world? It's selfish for you to not desire prosperity. Margaret Thatcher, the prime minister of England, she said this, "Um, no one would have remembered the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. When you have more than enough, you can be a blessing to those in need. When you have just enough, your ability to be a blessing is limited. Are you ready for this revelation? You cannot be a big giver if you don't have a big abundance to give from. That one was free. So prosperity is is about having more than enough, not just for yourself, not so you can continue to expand your greeds, but so that you can be a bigger blessing. Jim, money can't buy happiness. Well, neither can poverty. We're not talking about money buying happiness, but it can spread the gospel. It can feed the poor. It can plant churches and hospitals and dig wells overseas. It can rescue girls out of human trafficking. It can shelter the homeless. Okay, that's going to take money. It should be obvious to you that you cannot go into all the world and disciple nations if you can't afford to go to the store. Well, Jim, that's great, but Jesus was poor. And we're supposed to be like Jesus. Let me ask you a question. First of all, what Bible are you reading? Second of all, um, as if God would send his son to live like a beggar, and that's going to honor the father. But anyway, um, was Jesus really poor? Let me just say, uh, so here's the thing. The Magi brought gifts to Jesus. The Magi were, the, um, they were from Persia. They were from 1,500 miles away. They were tra- trained by Daniel to look for the Messiah. They were the New Agers of the day, and uh, their, their job was to, uh, they were the kingmakers of the day. They were the ones who would recognize who was the king. The king of Persia was known as the king of all kings. That was his title in that day. And yet these men saw a greater king, and they traveled 1,500 miles. And when they came into Jerusalem, here's what it says, Herod and all of Jerusalem were terrified and upset. They weren't terrified and upset if three guys in old clothes and big hats came with a couple of trinkets. The kingmakers of the day were coming, and they heard. They would have traveled with bodyguards. They would have traveled with much wealth. And here's what it says in Matthew 2.11. When they got to Jesus, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him because they saw a greater king. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In my book, I calculated out the minimum would be millions of dollars. I mean, just, a million, just an eight-by-eight eight box of gold today would be worth a million dollars. And so I, the religious spirit that would have you picture like this, these guys come in with these worn-out clothes, like bathrobes that are tattered and these giant paper hats, and, uh, and they approach, and they're worn out, they're emaciated, and uh, this, the guy says, Jesus, I found this gold nugget and wrapped it in tinfoil. Here you go. Here's some frankincense and myrrh in the Walmart economy sizes, used sparingly right? They had enough money that they were, uh, Joseph was able to flee to Egypt and not have to work for three years. The, uh, Jesus was known as the carpenter of Nazareth. He was the finest at his craft in that city. Are we supposed to believe that he was homeless, sleeping on the streets with his tools? Jesus had so much money that he had a treasure. Are you ready for this? If you have a treasure, you need some treasures, 
there was so much money in the treasury that um, Judas was skimming off the top and no one noticed except Jesus through a supernatural word of knowledge. Jesus was such an outrageous giver by lifestyle that at the Last Supper, Jesus comes and whispers something in Judas's ear. He gets up and leaves, and what do the disciples say? Oh, there goes Judas. He's going to uh, give away money to the poor in the middle of the night again. It was a lifestyle for Jesus. Here's something interesting. <clears throat> at the end of Jesus' life, they cast lots for his clothes, probably because they were nice, not because it was some mothball-eaten T-shirts. I'm not saying Jesus was some hot, hot um, flashy evangelist. I'm saying that Jesus had no financial debt, and he had more than enough money to fulfill every divine assignment. God had him, and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Jesus was financially prosperous. If the word prosperity is tweaking you, then I just substitute it with abundant provision. Prosperity, ugh, abundant provision. Oh, okay. I'm more open. I'm open to that. <clears throat> That was Pastor Jim Baker, and you can find that on YouTube if you search under Session 1, God's Ability to Produce Wealth, Zion Christian Fellowship. You can also find out more information about Jim Baker at his website, which is his church's website, zionequip.com. He's got lots and lots of resources. I know he had a class, like a course on wealth in the kingdom, and it's really good stuff because the kingdom of God is all about doing things God's way. And this is what he's talking about in regards to finances. So I encourage you to check his book out. Check him out at his website. Hope you have a wonderful day. I'll see you again tomorrow. God bless.